Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you work in us in miraculous and powerful ways. And some of those most powerful ways are, are the ways that you, you wrestle with us. You put things out of joint. Uh, would you help us to hold on to you, to be a people, your people, who, who know that the only chance for blessing and good and life comes from holding on to you. Bring us closer to seeing Jesus and, and that we have that access, we have that security of blessing in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing a series on the life of Jacob, and you know, we uh, left off in this series, or where we left Jacob last week was um, a, a very concerning situation. Uh, Jacob had, had just reported back to, uh, or, or sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, that he's coming back. He's, he's returning home, and Jacob's received very unsettling, disconcerting news that uh, Esau received this message, and, uh, and Esau is his brother that he's tricked, or he's deceived and, and, uh, and run away from. Esau received this message after this, this 20-year time apart, and Esau is coming to meet Jacob, and he's coming with 400 men. Uh, so that's where, <laughs> that's where Jacob is this night. Uh, you know, I remember a story, uh, you know, I don't remember the particular details of um, who shared this with me or, or what was going on, so I, I won't try to guess at it, but uh, there was a, a pastor who was, he was coming before a number of other pastors to um, be examined, and he's kind of in process, in progress um, of whatever the next stage was, and, and so he, he had been sent uh, out of the room, or he'd left, and so this other group of pastors was discussing this particular candidate. 
and, and he's a very gifted uh, and very talented, very smart candidate. And so all the other group of, uh, of pastors were talking about all of his kind of potential and, and these qualifications. Uh, but then one of the pastors asked the question, he said, but has he been broken? Has he been broken? And immediately everybody else, all of the other pastors, knew exactly what he was asking. And my guess is that you do as well. Because it's not just in ministry, but it's in every aspect of life. It's in all fields of work where there is something that is compelling, there is something that is powerful about a man or a woman who has been broken by God and is now operating out of that position of brokenness. And when I say that, when I kind of draw that picture, I'm not talking about um, the, the sort of person who, um, you know, to, to use an illustration, if, if you saw the World Cup, you saw plenty of this, uh, that somebody uh, gets tripped up, uh, they bump into somebody, or at least they, they think that's happened, and there is this elaborate production, right? There's the, the arms are flailing around, and they're screaming and flopping and, um, you know, moaning and groaning, right? Because they want everyone to know, they want everyone to see clearly how wronged they have been, right? Just how much injustice they, they've suffered, right? So I, I, I'm not talking about that kind of person, right? That really wants everybody else to know just what a raw deal they've had in life, right? More often than not, you, you meet this sort of person, right? The, the right kind of brokenness by God, and, and you a lot of times don't know the details right, of what's happened in this person's life. But, but you can see, you can tell that God has worked in them, that God, God has brought them to this place where they no longer are operating out of their own strength, but out of this place of dependence on God. And, and that is precisely the kind of person that Jacob is after this passage. God, in, in, in this night, in this encounter, he, he sort of, in many ways, he puts an exclamation mark. Right? He puts kind of his signature on a process that God has been up to for the past 20 years in Jacob's life. Right? He's, he's putting this spiritual or physical mark on the spiritual process that God has been doing. And, and Jacob is, is somebody, he's not, he's not by any means perfect after this. He's not a perfect man. We'll see plenty of that. But he is somebody whose life has been altered down to its very core. And he was learned in that to always hold on to God. To hold on to God no matter what. And that's the point for us. And it's to hold on to God no matter the cost. Hold on to God no matter the cost. And really, I just want to walk through this story as it comes to us. I just want to take it in its parts and and what we see, what we learn from each of this. So we have Jacob first, and he is a different man. He's a changed man, uh, but he is alone again as he encounters God for now 
the, the sort of second most sort of visible way. And, and then we'll, we'll go through and we'll look at this wrestling match that happens between God and Jacob. And then lastly, we'll talk about Jacob's limp and what it means to have a limp. So uh, the theme of this series, you, you may remember, is that uh, God redeems and uses flawed people. God redeems and uses flawed people. And, and by the time we see Jacob in this passage, we're really starting to see that. We're starting to see some fruit. We're starting to see some evidence of someone who has been changed. Jacob is not by a mile. He is not the same man that he was 20 years ago. When, when he first ran away, he's lying, he's deceiving, he's tricking his brother and his father and running for his life. He's a very different sort of man. And that's because God has been working on him. He has been humbling Jacob by degrees. And he's been making Jacob more completely reliant on God. And you can see this. You can see some evidence of this in, in Jacob's prayer. We talked about this last week. It's in the passage right before this. Jacob has learned who God is. He's, he, God has become this central occupying force in Jacob's life. Jacob now is going to God instinctively. He's using God. He's relying on God as his defense. And he's asking God for, for his help. And Jacob acknowledges in this prayer that, that he has nothing that he has in his life apart from that it's given him by God. And by this point in Jacob's life, God has given him a lot. God has really blessed Jacob in a lot of ways in, in this past season. He's accumulated a huge amount of wealth, huge number of possessions. He now has this giant family, which is one of the reasons why Jacob is now not only just concerned for himself, but he's concerned for his family. He's concerned for his kids. He's concerned for his, his servants, his workers. And so Jacob is a very different sort of man. It's a very different kind of situation, different circumstance than, than when God met him that night in, in Bethel. And yet, there are a lot of similarities there's a lot of similarities we see in these two scenes from that time when God met Jacob. He had nothing, and, and he, he came in this ladder and, and promised to take care of Jacob and, and bless him and, uh, and multiply him. Yet again, we, we find Jacob camping by a river. Right? It's by the river Jabbok. It's not the river Jordan. But he, he's again at a crossroads, in his life. He's at, he's at a turning point. He's at a very significant juncture in his life. And, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. He feels very weak. He feels very vulnerable. He has no idea you know, what, what the next 24, 48 hours are, are going to bring in his life. And yet again, Jacob is alone. Now, I think it's very significant that this is the opportunity that God chooses to meet him. Right, Jacob has sent away, he sent ahead of him, all of his flocks, all his, his family, all of his possessions. It's all gone ahead of him. And, and Jacob is completely alone. He's just got his staff. That's what he came over with. And that's, that is when God meets him. 
And God is, in essence, saying to Jacob, everything that you have, right, all, all of the stuff, all of the possessions, all of the accomplishments, all of these relationships, right, these, these things come and these things go. But what I'm interested in, Jacob, is you. I want you. I want all of you. I want your heart. And that's what God is saying to each one of us today as well. That that really, He wants us. Where is your heart in relationship to God? Are you depending on Him? Are you holding on to God? And I, I think it's interesting, isn't it, that that God will often meet us right, in powerful ways at these turning points, the, these junctures of your life right, that, that are, are significant times. I, I think one of the reasons for that is because, like it is here with Jacob, there's a realization, perhaps better put, there is an awakening to a reality that's always been true. Right? It's just, just how fragile your life really is. Right? Just how little control you have of any of it. Right? And, and so God can use those opportunities to press home the question, right? to wrestle it with us over the question, are you going to give me everything? Are you willing to let me have everything? Down to your complete self, right? Your your own life. So we, we now have this this wrestling match right, between Jacob and God, who, who Jacob realizes it is in fact God by the end of the night. So what's happening here? What what is going on? Why is God doing this? Uh, I think there's a picture here of what is happening in our lives all of the time. Sometimes we're more aware of it than others. But there is a wrestling with God that takes place. And that's true whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. That there's a wrestling to understand, but who is God? What does He want from me? What does He expect? How do I make sense of what's happening in my life in relationship to God here? And as I mentioned this is, this is true if you're not a Christian as well. You, you're in this wrestling match. Right? Because the Bible tells us that God has given each one of us a knowledge of God inside. We have that. And He's given us this knowledge of Him from, from the world around us. Now, and there's, my, my dad shared a, an interesting question one time. You know, if, you're, if you're interacting with somebody who is, uh, let's say, an avowed atheist, right? they're, they're absolutely committed to and, and um, locked in that there is no God, can't be any sort of God. And one of the more intriguing questions to ask in those sort of interactions is, when did you stop believing in God? Right? When did you stop believing in God? And, and what, what you'll find actually more often than not is that person can actually answer that question. They can point to something, they can point to some time, some season in their life that, that brought them to that point. And any number of reasons, you know, intellectual questions that they're not 
satisfied with the answers. There's some sort of personal tragedy or hardship. Or um, th- there's, there's just this a difficulty with the church or Christians right, that, that they've been burned by. And it, it, any of those reasons, what's happened is that this person has decided when God comes and, and, and they're wrestling with God about that, what the easiest thing to do is just to let go. It's just, just to let go. That that's easier than trying to square what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I've experienced with, with who God is. Who God is, this all-powerful, personal God. It's much easier to just let go. And for those of us who are Christians, it's not as if you stop wrestling right, after you're converted. I mean, I guarantee that each one of you including myself, right? if you're willing to do this, you think about this um, sometime today or, or later in the week as you, you have opportunity and you're willing for God to answer this, God will come he, he, and He will come and He will point to an area of your life that He wants to wrestle with you. Or He wants to wrestle with you over that. Because God wants all of our heart, all of our trust, all of our love, and he, he wants all of you, right? And, and so he wants that part of you that you're afraid to let him in, right? Where, where you're afraid to, to let go. God wants that as well, right? Because Christ died to redeem all of us. And, and there was a time 2,000 years ago when Jesus wrestled with God on our behalf. He wrestled with Jesus with God over whether he was going to have to go to the cross. And then on the cross, he wrestled to hold on to God. And he did. He held on to God so that Jesus could give us the blessing. That he could get the blessing for us. And just like Jacob, Jesus' body was put out of joint. His body is broken on the cross so that we could get that blessing. And he held on and he prevailed. He refused, like Jacob, to let God go. And that means that you and I, when we wrestle with God, that we can, like Jacob, we can demand, demand that God bless us because Jesus prevailed for us. Now, there's something else you have to do beside you. You demand that God bless you because of Jesus. And, and then in order to prevail, you also have to hold on. Those two have to go together. You've got to hold on to God, no matter the cost. You think about this. How did Jacob prevail? That's what it says. You look at verse 25. It says, the man who's really God saw that he didn't prevail against Jacob. Now, is Jacob just like really, really strong? Has he been taking the right mixed martial arts classes? Like, what's, what's going on? Like, how does he do this? No, obviously not. There's no actual contest here. Right? Verse 24 says that these two wrestled all night. They wrestled all night, and then by the end of the night, verse 26, Jacob says, I won't let you go unless 
you bless me. Now, ancient Near East culture, without exception, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Always. The lesser is blessed by the greater. So, no question in Jacob's mind, they've been wrestling the whole night, no question about who's greater in this contest. And then on top of everything else, God just, just touches his hip, just, just puts his finger on the whole thing is put out of socket. So Jacob is not winning this match. He prevails because he doesn't let go. You see this, right? It's morning now, morning breaks, and Jacob, he's just, he's just holding on. He's just clinging on like a little child. Right? It's like if a dad has a wrestling match with one of their kids, right? And all the kid can do is just you grab like an ankle or, or a wrist, an arm, and you just, they just hold on. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. That's, that's what it looks like for Jacob. He, he's been completely beaten. He's broken. His, his, he knows without a shadow of a doubt who is stronger in this match. He's not about to win. But he, he prevails because he, he holds on to this man. He holds on to God until he blesses him. Now this is how we've got to think about our relationship with God. There's no question. You wrestle with God. There's no question about who's right. There's no question about who's stronger. This is Job's experience. He's wrestling with God in his life about these disaster, disasters, plural, that God has brought into his life and trying to make sense of these things and wrestling with God. And he says, Job 9, 19, he says, if it's a contest of strength, behold, he is mighty, right? Meaning that there is no contest here. But if we've trusted in Jesus, we know that God is wrestling with us, not as an opponent, not to hurt us, but as a father, to do us good, to strengthen us. And it doesn't mean there's not a cost. There is a cost. There's a cost to being a Christian. And the cost is actually everything. God is not going to let you hold anything back from Him. And that's why over the course of your life, that as you wrestle with God, there will often be some very painful things. Because God wants to have us hold on to Him. And we know, we learn like Jacob, that we will prevail, you will prevail if you just hold on to Jesus as he is holding on to you. And also, like Jacob, we, we know, Revelation 2.17, that we have a new name. There's a new name waiting for us that God has for us. Now, this is just something you only have time to, to touch in passing here, uh, but there's a really important lesson here about our identity. And you can see this in Jacob. Jacob is, he is blessed by God, and he is, is given a new name, which brings with it a new identity. And this is just given to him by God. God, God just pronounces it over. This, this is who you are. You're Israel. It's done. And 
This is really how our identity works as well. And this is something that's really important for us to understand, and that is that as a human being and as a Christian, the most important things about your identity are just given to you. They're just given to you by God. And I know that in our culture today, we hear that, and we think, that sounds really restrictive. That sounds really repressive. We've got to understand that God... God does that. As God does that, He's given a, giving us the gift of clarity. He's saying that, that this is who I've made you to be. This is who you are. I've named you. You are mine. And you want to grapple with or you want to wonder, well, who am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to turn out looking like? God wants us to look at Jesus. Because that's where he's taking us. That's where he's moving us through, through whatever he's doing in our life. As long as we trust him, we hold on to Jesus no matter what. I want to wrap up here just by thinking about the, the aftermath of this encounter that Jacob has. How that relates to our life. So, you know, verse 31, after this this wrestling match, where do we find Jacob? What does it look like? Well, uh, he, the, the sun has now risen. It's day. He's exhausted. He's, he's been up the entire night wrestling with God. And he's prevailed. He's received blessing because he, he's just held on to God. But now, Jacob, he goes forward to meet whatever's lying ahead of him. And every step along the way, He's limping. He's limping. Every step. Think about that. For the rest of Jacob's life, he's actually going to live quite a long time after this. His entire life, every single step, he limps. There's always going to be in Jacob this this physical reminder of a spiritual reality. That God has wrestled with him. God has broken him. God has brought Jacob really low. He's, he's broken him at his strength in order to make him hold on to God more closely. And, and really this is the most important question probably for all of us today. And that is, do you have a limp? Do you have a limp? Do you, and by the way, when I say this, I should, should clarify, I don't merely mean, or do you have some kind of pain or hurts or scars in your life? Of course you do. It doesn't take any particular work of God's Spirit to, to accumulate scars in life. Other people are going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt yourself. What I'm asking is, do you have some area in your life where you have wrestled with God and God has had to put something out of joint in your life so that you would hold on to Him more completely? And, and like I said, when this, this happens, you have this kind of spiritual limp. It is oftentimes noticeable from other people, that there is a, a sort of a gentleness 
There's a tenderness, right? Because you're no longer relying on yourself because God has has broken you. And and there's, in this sort of person, there's a, a kind of manifest weakness. But it's not the kind of weakness that makes you a weak person. In fact, just the opposite. It tends to make it tends to make you stronger. It tends to make you more resilient. I think this is just one of the, the beautiful ironies of the Christian life. That the more deeply God has put something out of joint in your life, the more clearly He has shown you His weak your weakness, the more real strength, actual strength that you have. Because that's, that's a place that you're depending on God more fully. You know, Paul talks about this. In you know, 2 Corinthians 12, he, t- he talks about this thorn, right? this limp that he has. And he wants God to take it away. He begs God to take it away. And what does God say? No. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. There's power in Christ through weakness, through through this, this limp. And this is really what I want to close with. And I think one of the, the funny things about you having this kind of limp in your life is it comes with a mixture of shame and joy. There's, there's shame and joy. There's shame over this, this thing in your life that had to be put out of joint. This, this idol, this uh, distorted view, this distorted desire, uh, this, this pride, and how deeply God had to, to break you to, to put this out of joint. But then there's also a joy. There's a joy that comes from the way that God has met you. The intimacy that you have shared with God through this experience because that, that you would have never had if God hadn't given you this limp. And and the truth is, if you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you have a limp. (laughs) Because there's just no other way. There's no other way that God meets us as sinful men and women. There's no other way He enters into relationship with us because in order to make you strong and whole, He is going to wrestle with you. And He is going to put things out of joint in your life that you are holding on to too closely in order to make you hold on to Him, rely on Him. And, and so to, to kind of stretch this analogy, as you go through the Christian life, in many ways you, you accumulate limps because God keeps meeting you. He keeps wrestling with you. He keeps putting His hand on, on some other place in your life where you're not really yet holding on to Him and, and nothing else. Or it might be the same area. God has to, to break you more deeply there. And so really, I think this is, this is one of my biggest hopes for us as a church. 
a lot of hopes. This is one of the biggest ones, and that is that we are a people who walk with a limp. And like I said, that doesn't mean that you're weak. doesn't mean that we're fearful. But it means that we are deeply conscious of the ways that God has wrestled with us. The, the areas, the places in our life where God has had to, to meet us and make us hold on to Him more closely. And, and keep in mind, these are things that Jesus died for. They're forgiven. So there's no, there's no shame in this. But rather, this limp or these limps are places, they're evidences of blessing. They're evidences of God's blessing. Because these are places in your life where God has loved you enough to make you hold on to Him more closely. Let's pray. Lord, I I thank you uh, for the limps in my life. I thank you for the the limp and, and limps in all of our lives. Lord, because that's the only way we get made whole. That's the only way uh, we get to heaven. That's the only way we get to see you. Is because we, we have things that have to be corrected. That, gotta be, that have to be changed. That have to be broken in us. In order to have greater strength from you. Uh, and so I, I pray that you would, you would continue doing us. Doing this process in us. Uh, and, and that we would see this or, or look back and reflect on our lives and, and the things that this, this has happened and uh, not without um, regret or, or sorrow of sorts, but, but this kind of godly sorrow that brings joy because we see the good work that you are doing. We see this evidence uh, that, that never would have happened if you hadn't got a hold of us. So we thank you for that and, and pray that you'd be continuing to do that work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.